Good afternoon, everyone. Christians have not been called to a way of life smooth or easy. Our commitment to Christ begins with a ceremony, baptism, which symbolizes the death of the old self. It symbolizes the mortification of the fleshly lusts, among other things, and implies a spiritual battle which we must wage with God's help against our own nature. And that's just the beginning of the obstacles and difficulties we must face in overcoming during our pilgrimage in this flesh. We're told a number of times in Scripture that we must suffer with Christ, meaning we must endure the same kinds of obstacles and trials that He endured. During His sojourn on earth, Jesus Christ was loved by some, but He was reviled and hated by many. He faced all the rigors and problems of physical life. He endured Satan-inspired attacks and temptations. He suffered the active opposition of enemies who wanted him dead, who finally succeeded in branding him a criminal and murdering him through the legal system of that day. Jesus was cruelly betrayed by one of those closest to him. In today's sermon, I want to review some of the challenges Christians must face in this life, but also the outcome of it all, the final outcome, the unfathomable reward of our faithful endurance as Christians is to be realized in what is pictured by this day, the Feast of Trumpets. We are called to endure the same kinds of trials and sufferings as Christ did. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, beginning with verse 24, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and then he will reward each according to his works. So, this phrase, take up his cross, in the scripture that we read, implies a life of sacrifice and suffering. In Matthew 7 and verse 14, Matthew 7 and verse 14, Jesus said, Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The Greek word implies an entrance beset with obstacles and hence narrow and possibly treacherous. It implies a way beset with troubles, afflictions, distresses, and tribulation. All who've been a part of the church of God for any length of time have been through periods of difficulty and stress in their personal lives. We've seen upsetting, consternating, distressing events in the church. We've suffered with one another, besides all the stresses of everyday life. Sometimes it may be tempting to simply throw in the towel to say, what's it worth? We may ask, why invite all this trouble? Why endure all this pain? When beset with doubts and the temptation to quit, we need to remember the goal, remember the outcome as Jesus did through all his trials. 
We read in Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 1. Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We're reminded that while we may have endured trials, most of us have not been beaten or suffered bloodshed in our striving against sin. Now, of course, some, in fact, many, have suffered beatings and even death as followers of Christ, but most of us have not yet suffered in such a way. That's not to say that we won't at some future time, but we have not yet, as it was written to the Jewish converts in Hebrews chapter 12. I believe this is verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Later on, many Christians in Judea did suffer bloodshed, and many were martyred. But I don't know if a great many in our age in the true church have been martyred. There are people, though, that are being killed because they proclaim Christ as their Savior various places in the world, even as we speak. God instructs, guides, and sometimes rebukes us or chastens us as a loving father, his child. In Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 5, we read Hebrews 12, verse 5, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. The word translated chastening and chastens here in this passage comes from a Greek verb, paiduo, which means to train, to educate, or can imply discipline. The English word chasten can also imply both instruction and punishment or correction, but more often the latter. One definition of chasten from Webster's 1913 dictionary is, quote, to subject to affliction or trouble in order to produce a general change for the better in life or character, end quote. Jesus at times rebuked his disciples as he was training them to educate and guide them. So we should not become discouraged or angry at God if we are corrected or afflicted because any such correction from God is for our good, for our edification. We go on in Hebrews 12 with verse 7, Hebrews 12 and verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? 
for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. This is speaking of Mount Sinai when God spoke the commandments from there. It says they could not endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect that speaks better things than of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And so we need to be serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Jesus' trials culminated in his resurrection to immortality, to glory, to honor, and power. He triumphed over all his enemies, including death, to sit at the right hand of God, sharing God's nature and glory. And the same kind of reward awaits us if we do not faint, if we endure. We, we read in Romans 6, beginning with verse 3, Romans 6 and verse 3, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been unified together in the likeness of his death, certainly we 
also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, one who dies to sin implies that he or she becomes a different person, no longer enslaved to sin as we just read, no longer practicing sin, but walking in a different path in newness of life, striving to imitate Jesus Christ who lived in perfect righteousness. We read in Colossians 3, beginning with verse 1, Colossians 3 and verse 1, if, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also walked, or once walked, when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But of all, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this tells us what we are to cease doing as Christians and what we are to do in place of those things we may have done formerly. Suffering in this life is not limited to those who are Christians. Most human beings suffer, 
either because of the circumstances they're trapped in or even often because of causes that are unjust or because they have done evil. Peter, in encouraging us to walk in faith, peace, and righteousness, reminds us that it's better to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, Peter said, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the, of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled but sanctify God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. In encouraging us to be willing to suffer if necessary in imitation of Christ, Peter reminds us not only of our obligations, but the reward that will come if we follow Christ's example. He wrote, beginning with verse 1 of 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And this, by the way, does not mean that the gospel was preached to people while they were dead. It means that they were the gospel was preached to men who have since died, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. They will live again, as the Bible assures us later on, and have a chance to repent. Just wanted to make that clear as we read that scripture. Going on, Peter wrote, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things have fervent love for one another. 
for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. In following Christ, we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh as we struggle against our own nature to overcome. And as we do that, we are making progress toward fulfilling the destiny for which every one of us was created and that is to become born into the family of God like Christ, who is the firstborn among many brethren. We read in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, Romans 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, the law referred to here is the Old Covenant, which the Jews commonly referred to simply as the law, as it's referred to in the Bible quite often. So what the law of the Old Covenant God made with Israel, Mount Sinai, could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So this tells us that the mind with which we were born, the fleshly mind, it's what carnal means, means simply means the fleshly mind that each one of us possessed by, by nature, that mind is enmity against God, enmity against God's law. And it is not subject to that law, nor indeed can be of itself. 
And so Paul goes on to say, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit which dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship by whom or which as it should be, we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself or itself, as it should be translated, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption or the sonship, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So we eagerly await the culmination of our redemption, the time when we will be resurrected from the dead and be no longer flesh, but like Jesus Christ, in his resurrected state. Going on, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, or better translated, foreknows, or as it could be translated, knows from the first, which includes every human whom God knows from the instant one is conceived. There isn't any human being who, whom God does not know from the very first instant that it's possible to know that person. So this isn't something exclusive to some particular picked out group of people. This includes every single human being 
everyone destined for God's kingdom. That is, that is the destiny for which they were born. As it goes on to say, everyone that he foreknows, which includes every human being who's been conceived or ever will be conceived, he also predestined, or it would be more accurately translated, he predestines to be conformed to the image of his son. Notice that every human being is conform is to is uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, not a few brethren, but many. What this tells us is that the destiny that God has in mind for every human being is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as sons in his kingdom. Now, whether any particular individual ultimately realizes that destiny is partly up to him, whether we realize that destiny, each one of us is partly up to us and the choices that we make. Will we strive to overcome the flesh? Will we, will we walk in the Spirit as we are instructed so that we might be heirs of God's kingdom? That's the choice that we face. And if we are faithful to God, nothing can separate us from His love. In Romans 8, verse 35, Romans 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're told that to fulfill our destiny, we must fight the good fight of faith. It's not something that happens automatically. It's not something that happens without our full participation. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good con kind of confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we are called to eternal life, but to lay hold on it, to secure it with the help of God's spirit requires fighting the good fight of faith, the struggle to overcome our own nature and any other obstacle that may stand in our way. We're told in Daniel 12, that the resurrection, or that at the resurrection, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Our destiny at the coming of Jesus Christ in glory and in power is to be resurrected in his likeness, to be shed of this creaking, flawed tabernacle of flesh and given a spiritual body like that of Christ. The Apostle Paul sacrificed and suffered greatly as he lived a life of service to God. And he reminds us, urging us to follow his example with the ultimate reward in mind in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Philippians 3 and verse 7, But what things were gained to me, 
These I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. In other words, what he's saying is I do not count myself to have it made, he, he knew that there was still a possibility if he didn't continue down the right path that he could fail. He said, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will, re will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, said Paul. Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So we've got a lot of examples that we can learn from. Paul's example and that of many others who have walked the path of faith and righteousness to attain the kingdom of God. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 20. Philippians 3 and verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now we may face many obstacles in life on the path to salvation, but there is no obstacle which can't be overcome with the help of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Philippians 4, beginning verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled in part as Jesus Christ returns at the sound of the seventh and last trumpet in a series of trumpet blasts that will be accompanied by plagues and disasters that will afflict mankind in leading up to Christ's return and his reign on the earth. We read in Revelation 10, beginning with verse 5, Revelation 10 and verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay, should be delay 
no longer. That there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. And then we read in Revelation 11, beginning in verse 15, Revelation 11 and verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged, that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. At the sound of that last trumpet, Jesus Christ will return suddenly to the earth and the dead in Christ will be resurrected. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, or who those who are dead. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Notice, the dead in Christ will rise from their graves, and those who are alive and in Christ will rise, will rise together with them to meet Christ. Now, if they are rising to meet Christ, that, mean, that means they are not coming down with Christ, but they are rising from the earth to meet him. There's nobody in heaven who has died and who is now in heaven except Jesus Christ. The rest are still in their graves. They are a part of the dust of the earth but they will be resurrected from their graves at the time of Christ's coming. They will rise with those who are faithful to God at that time and, and, and still alive to meet Christ in the air. That's what it says. The air is the earth's atmosphere. That's where the air is. And then thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's nothing here about going to heaven whatsoever. There's no scripture that says you're going to heaven either before that time or at that time or any other time. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The faces of those privileged to be in that resurrection 
will shine with the glory of God as does that of the resurrected Jesus Christ as reflected in the prophecy we read earlier in Daniel 12. Those resurrected at that time will bear the likeness of Jesus Christ. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 49, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, meaning Adam, who was made of the dust of the earth, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. We all, meaning all who will be included in the first resurrection, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the last of the seven trumpets. For that trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, the difference being mortal is subject to death and immortal is you don't die. You're never going to die. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. As Jesus Christ takes the reins of authority and power over the nations, we will share in administering the government of God to bring peace, righteousness, mercy, and truth to all the world as he sets out to bring both physical and spiritual salvation to all nations, we will be at his side to share in that great work. We read in Revelation 20 and verse 4, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24 and verse 13, Matthew 24 and verse 13, he who endures to the end shall be saved. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Yes, sometimes we may think that our suffering is unbearable. And in some ways it may be, but in relative terms, the Bible says of it that it is a light affliction, which is but for a moment compared to eternity. 
it's a very brief span of time, even though as we go through it, we may think it's lasting forever. But that perception will change once we are in the resurrection. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Brethren, this day, the day of the Feast of Trumpets, pictures the day when the sons of God shall be revealed, clothed with glory and righteousness, being filled with all the fullness of God, as we read in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. So set your eyes on the prize and endure. Endure.